Welcome to the Movement Podcast. This show is all about movement. We tackle it from different angles, bring on guests, answer questions, go on a few tangents, and give practical advice. Giving you a better idea of how you can optimize the human body to be the best it can be. Let's preview what's coming up in this episode. Posture, good or bad, is automatic. But for those with poor posture, is it possible to change it over time? Is it holding you back, causing problems, and are you even aware? Today we discuss posture and why it matters. We dive into static versus dynamic, spine positions and function, simple changes for better results, and many options for learning and retaining better posture. So let's align with this episode of the Movement Podcast, powered by FMS. So Greg, we're going to talk about probably a topic that everybody can appreciate, whether you walk into a Walmart, whether you go into an athletic facility and you mention the word posture, immediately everybody stands up straight. They, they do. Think, they think that's what it is. And to be honest, I was, uh, um, took a little trip with the family last week. Um, and we were fortunate. We went down to uh, a beach and weather was great. We're sitting out there and my kids were out there, you know, doing their thing. And they're actually taking surfing lessons. And, you know, I'm watching the guy teaching them how to do the surfing. Of course, no way in hell I'm going to try and do surfing. Oh, come on now. No. But I saw you posed with a board, though, right? Well, of course. <laughs> I posed with the board, did the thing, went out, you know, kind of like a golf, cor- golf course. I looked like a golfer. Um, so I, I did have the look. So, of course, I go out there, and, you know, they had a, a person taking pictures. Okay. You know, a professional photographer, which is awesome. They had a drone, really cool little setup. And, of course, the, the, the lesson was all about posture and getting up on the board and getting your feet right and the whole spiel. But the video person took a picture of me and my wife. And of course, I'm on the beach, so I've got to have a drink. So I've got my cocktail there and I've got my camera in one hand because of course, I'm, I've still got to take videos because the professional can't do it right apparently because my wife's like, Lee, get your camera out and take your pictures. Yeah, you're playing the role of dad, not FMS CEO right now. Correct. <laughs> so I got my beer and i am got my phone. <laughs> And the picture comes out, and we're looking at scrolling through the pictures that night. Get there, and my, my kids just start cracking up. Of course, I'm not looking at the pictures. I'm out <laughs> the drink, cracking up at my image, going, Dad, you got to stand up straight. you got a gut. And I'm like, oh, man. Hmm. I look at the picture, I'm like, yeah, no kidding. I didn't realize my posture was that bad. Stand up a little straight. You know, get yourself upright. Like, you know, Gray, it's hard to do that on the beach when I got a beer in my hand and the more more alcohol I put in, the more I'm just going to slouch and slide <laughs> on down little, into the comfortable position. So give, posture is definitely something that, that we all can appreciate, but let's, let's dive into that a little bit more today. All right, well, I'm going to give you a pass, Lee, because back in the old days when you were burning the candle at both ends, getting your PhD and servicing all the sports medicine contracts we had, you could rest as well standing as I can in a recliner. You figured out how to just lean on those ligaments and situate that fanny pack just so, so you could balance your head, balance the fanny pack, and lock out all your joints. And for an athletic trainer in those days, that's pretty much you had to go from zero to 100 miles an hour, and you you could definitely achieve zero quicker than anybody. Oh, yeah. I could, so. I could definitely figure out how to stand and not use any muscle activity. And you know what a great test for that is? When you got somebody who stands with their knees locked or with their posture fixed is you walk up and bump them, they're going down. They're, they're not even, you know, just like cow tipping. <laughs> but to your point, and, and, and I want to reiterate that, your awareness of your own posture is only going to be brought to you when you're not thinking about it. We all pose 
And then we all have situations where we adopt that, that authentic posture. It came to me a few years back because on, on the farms, I got game cameras. And uh, I diagnosed myself. I knew I had a little bit of a hernia. Um, and all of a sudden, I looked at the same spot over two years. And, of course, I'm walking through my game cameras doing stuff. And I had a lot of slouch on me. And I realized I was given to the pain. So, you know, if, if you're not aware of your posture and we get a bad posture sort of situation for you and it's not because of pain, then that's where your fitness must start. And a lot of people just start ad movement and agitating the situation. And for those of us that have probably jogged a little bit in our life, I think one of the quickest transitions, if you want to get back to jogging and you know walking's not enough, is I think walking with a weighted vest is a really quick way to learn about posture. And here's two things. If you've got flexibility problems, that weighted vest is going to feel like quicksand. And if you've got motor control problems, you're actually going to feel better walking just because of the weight. Now, we've got some people that are going to overdo that and put 600 pounds on them. But I think the weighted vest is a pretty good thing because just with a little bit of weight or these yokes that Perform Better has that go around your neck, it is a balanced load front and back. It's not a backpack. And when we're doing this for therapeutic things, you will actually find your uprightness with a little bit more information. And we started our journey really understanding how to fix motor control problems uh, early because we realized in reactive neuromuscular training, if we feed your mistake in a gentle way, you will self-correct. And that's why we've always sort of adopted that mantra that if we can teach the move through feel, let's not say a word because the internet is full of words that still aren't fixing movement. All right, let's, let's, let's back up and unpack some of that, Greg, because you, you, you threw out a lot of stuff that we need to kind of get into. And that's really, really the precursor of what we want to talk about today. A lot of what you just said, because one big misconception when I started off saying, hey, if you mention the word posture, people just stand up straight. Mm-hmm. They make the assumption, well, it's just an upper back thoracic spine mobility problem. I just got to stand up straight. And posture is much more than that. It is. And, and if it's uncomfortable for you to stand up straight, that's where we got to start. Because, you know, we, we've learned this by working with Kyle and Phil. Pain associated with certain movements and postures affects the motor control and motor All right, learning system. Hold on. I'm going to bring an interrupt. Okay. Define posture. Posture is alignment. And for those people who want to go academic, we have static and dynamic posture. Static posture is holding yourself in a very well-aligned position without the presence of movement. And dynamic posture is maintaining that optimal alignment in your linkages and in your joints and in your levers in the presence of movement. So let me give the sports medicine analogy. When we see somebody jump and they use some valgus collapse, that knee caves in, that's a bad way to load that joint. It's better to load the knee, the ankle, and the hip with a little bit of flexion. And that's bad posture in that pattern. Exactly. People think valgus collapse is a movement. It's not. It's a loss of postural integrity under dynamic load, not static load. And so everybody thinks they're training static and dynamic posture. But when we see all these little hiccups in movement that we'd like to coach out, no, that is a loss of awareness. And so the first thing we could and should do is a subtle adjustment. So when we see your squat really poor, we can give you a heel lift and all of a sudden you can at least appreciate for a minute the squat you did without the heel lift and the one you did with the heel lift is a huge difference. 
By giving you that less burden of dorsiflexion and pelvic control, we allowed you to find alignment. But I would venture to say that when we started the movement screen, we bypassed the whole postural analysis, not because we weren't sensitive to it. If we caught movement problems, a big reason people have poor movement problems is their starting and ending posture is limited. So they can't find neutral because they don't know where their ends are or their ends are too limited. And I think there's two, two kind of ends of that spectrum, if you will, from what you just described, starting with stat- static and dynamic. When we look at screening movement, you know, we're screening your posture, period. We're just putting you through different patterns and positions to see if, you, if your postural control can handle those patterns and positions. Even if it's a leg raise, we're still trying to see, can you maintain good postural integrity in your lumbo-pelvic control while you're moving your hips? Since people don't see that or make that connection. Obviously, when you're looking at your upper body shoulder mobility, they make that connection. But all of the things we're looking at, but we're looking at that dynamically. And I think previously, and, and I'll let you kind of take this and run with it quite, quite a bit here, Gray, is when we talk about static, that is what with all the rage was initially. Is this, let's just look at your static posture. And how we looked at static posture back in the day was putting you standing up against the wall looking at a grid. It, it is. And, and we actually did a earlier podcast, I think it was season two, and, and talked about a lot of the brackets of posture and the way it's discussed. And so if you guys want to get a little more, go a little uh, earlier in the conversation, start back at that and come back to this because now we're really unpeeling this thing. In the older times of looking at posture, those grids were very important for structural problems, right? Scoliosis, kyphosis, torticollis is a rotation of the neck, really awkward pelvic situations. And so, so a quick posture grid is not a bad thing. Making an exercise recommendation off a static grid, uh-uh, uh-uh, that's fool's gold because is the right shoulder high or is the left shoulder low? Well, it's whatever one you think it is and that's 50% wrong. And, and we don't want to do that. So by bypassing... Oh, all- hold on. Explain that again, because I think that's a very important concept. And I, th- I think that's why it's so important to look at dynamic posture. Is the right shoulder high or is the left shoulder low? Well, this is the one thing that I think everybody needs to question. If you're not also standing on a force plate, what you're, the shape you're throwing at me, and, and I love that. My, my daughters were having a dance party in the house one day calling throwing shapes. And when we had Kelly on the episode, when we're talking about what the bottom of your squat looks like, all I need to do is see that shape. If I know what the bottom of your squat looks like with your heels flat, attempting the dowel overhead, I got a lot of information. And it's not just information about your posture down there. It's information about the way you got there and did you round, flex, or move at the wrong segment first. It's also a representation of your worst side, not your best side. So the overhead deep squat is a great shape to show me the top of it, show me the bottom of it. But if there's something wrong with it, don't try to fix it from there. There are thousands of other things it could be before it's time to go back and check this squat. Some people could actually not breathe correctly. Some people could actually avoid the position because of pain. Some people could be 70-30 on their weight shift. And we don't know any of this. And so if we're looking at the grid, and I don't even know that your 70-30 weight shift is causing that, all we need to do is make that static snapshot and then see if in our movement analysis, in our breakouts, and in the other tests we do, can we explain why you look that way statically? That's right. Because really, when you talk about structure versus function, 
let's see how well you move first. Because you take me, for example. I've got a significant leg length discrepancy. You look at me on a grid, I'm sure you can find things, right? But you look, and it's getting worse today than it was 20 years ago, but I can navigate a movement screen and check the boxes and pass. Yes. We'll say pass. I get a little bit of 3-2 asymmetry, but my body has found a way around that. So my situation, the grid's going to tell you one thing, but my movement tells you something a little bit different. But you've got to make exercise decisions on my movement, not what the grid tells me. Well, I think a cool philosophical statement to unpack is some people move better than their posture and some people posture better than they move. And I honestly think it's where your identity and, and, and sensitivity is. I remember doing some uh, movement screens and SFMAs uh, with one of the pro football teams. And I noticed that a lot of these guys, if we didn't slow them down, they'd get a run and start into standing rotation. <laughs> they would use momentum and, and a lot of good athletes do. They're, they're so pre-coiled and springy that a little bit of momentum makes their movement look better. But that's not a good default place to be because stiffness changes over time, tissue temperature, and fatigue. Whereas motor control, that is consistent. And so I think the athletes that, that can fatigue the quickest in the exact same competitive endeavor are those who are least efficient, right? And mobility and motor control problems both cause that. So if I catch you on posture, the very next thing I want to do is find out, are you here because of pain or range of motion limitations? And if you aren't, it's great. You're right to RNT. We can actually start giving you loads or complexities like a balance beam, a bear crawl, self-limiting behaviors, and you will zip up that bodysuit into a better shape for most of the activities you get in. But if you can't even cover the shape due to pain or mobility problems, most of the instruction and exercise, even if you do R&T on somebody with an ankle mobility problem, the lunge isn't going to get it back. All right. You got it. <clears throat> You've mentioned it a couple of times now, and I know you define this, I don't know how many different ways. R-N-T. Reactive neuromuscular training, and, and it is nothing new under the sun. It is another way of talking about a thing, PNF, another three-letter word, proprioceptive neuromuscular facilitation. Two things happen in PNF, or proprioceptive neuromuscular facilitation. They assume you already have a developmental platform right? Rolling, crawling, blah, blah, blah. And then they basically comment on many of the movements of the spine and extremities are spiral and diagonal. And there's a thing called a radiation, the intention of the pattern, right? And this is what Pavel meant by grip the kettlebell harder, you'll have a better swing. Why? Because your brain listens to your hands and feet. They are the utmost outer boundaries of your physical experience. And so, we can basically follow these true-to-life patterns. Nothing in the body is a straight plane. Even though the fixed-axis exercise equipment let us exercise that way, that's actually exercising movement without posture. When you squat with a bar and weights or a kettlebell, that's completely different than a leg press or a Smith machine that tracks the movement for you. And it's letting you get strong without dynamic posture. So when we see these things that we can feed the mistake, I would rather take weight off of the squat and have you do natural squats than put weight on the leg press and make you think your legs are actually that strong in real life. 
So we should always seek to find those edges of stability because the strength you have in balanced and self-supported situations is the only strength that you have functionally. Everything else is a proxy. So when you when you're really talking about an, a practical a practical situation for R and T, it's really putting a person in a position that you know they're going to have difficulty. And let's just again, the most common one we can talk about is the squat, and their knee caves in. The common thought is you're going to come up as a strength coach and say, "Hey, kick your knee out, kick yes. your knee out, yes. kick your knee out," because your knees are caving in, or you're pitching forward. Stand up straight, stand, kick your butt back, and start just peppering this person with all this information. And really what you're trying to do is to get them in a better posture. Exactly, without words. And it, that right. is the way I handcuff myself because we all can bullshit. You don't way, learn that way. Huh? You're not going to learn You that absolutely way. don't. You learn to, you got all the way through your developmental progression before the language of movement was owned by you. That means you own these patterns before you own the ability to talk about them. And maybe you should reintroduce these patterns in a purpose-driven way. I know uh, we get a lot of data out of, uh, I think, South America on you can actually predict how long somebody's going to live in the quality of their life by how quickly they can get up off the floor. So much so that I think a physician is actually using this getting up off the floor as a sort of gauge. The problem is when we find that to be a problem, do we just say, keep trying to get up off the floor? Well, there are you see the Turkish getup in, in a weight lifting culture or the sun salutation be a fundamental maneuver. I think if you have anterior problems, if you know your abs are way weaker than your back extensors, do more sun salutation. If you think that you're pretty balanced, do more Turkish getups. And, and it's two great ways to get up off the floor and get down on the floor and actually get those primal need movement patterns purpose-driven. I'm not having you half-kneel because that's the way we do chops and lifts. I'm having you half-kneel because it's a hell of an option to have All right, okay. when you're Let's getting back up, up there, man. You're going off, you're going, you're taking a little bit back to RNT. Right. How was that RNT? It's RNT because we're letting you make a mistake and self-correct. When you're transitioning from tall kneeling to half-kneeling, it's either going to look really jerky and awkward or it's going to be smooth. And if I put a little bit of weight on your shoulders, some people actually get smoother. So you're not adding the weight as resistance. You got it. I'm not, I'm not trying to make you stronger in this move. I'm making your center of gravity higher so you'll be more sensitive to how much slouching and leaning Hence and twisting. Hence the word reactive. You got it. So how can you react and respond to improve your posture? Right, because a reactive move is subconscious. And if you're making subconscious mistakes you won't be consciously correcting them when you need to the most. And right there, hold on. I'm right there. I'm going to keep interrupting because this is a lot to unpack here. Right there is the key. That is the most critical aspect of what you're talking about here, Gray. It's it's subconscious because that's how we learn. None of what you're talking about are things that we shouldn't be able to do. Right. But we've lost the ability to do them. So if all the coach, the professional is doing is yelling at you or telling you what to do, that's just, and I've heard you say that, just a noise coming in your ears. You can't process it. Yes. But if you would be quiet and say, hey, put this on your back, or one of the best things that I saw you do early on, this is probably the mid and late 1990s, improving someone's squat, you would actually have them take a kettlebell, back then I don't even know if we had kettlebells, a dumbbell, 
hold it in front, and you didn't do this as a goblet squat. Hold that kettlebell or dumbbell in yeah, front. Yeah, it was extended out front. And put and when you lower down to your squat, push that thing out. And all it was was a counterweight. Yes, it was a heel lift it from was a, a heel different lift. direction. Yep. And then when you got to the bottom, put the weight down, breathe, control everything, stand back up. And the posture would immediately improve without you saying anything other than when you feel like you're off balance, push that weight away from you. No, it's, that, that, was a, that was just a trick to fool the body a lot of times. Remember and that's what RNT is. Right, the leg-lowering progression. Laying flat on your back and propping one leg and moving the other one up and down once again allows you to sort of get into a position backward. But I, would, I came in your office maybe a week and a half ago, and uh, we were just doing our little morning bitch session about each other and the people that don't understand us. And uh, I said, I got a great tagline. Hack your answer, but grow your solution. And you're like, I don't get what you're saying. And if you got to explain it, it's not a good line. But I think it, it's appropriate here because the people that we work with, the, the people that, that are working with our listeners, can get the answer about posture anywhere. You can get the answer about movement screen anywhere. I mean, we're out there. All, but good ways to look at movement are out there. But you can't hack your solution. And what we had to learn is the hard way. Sometimes we got to meet people at rolling, right? And just do some stuff with breathing or having them find their axis or just doing something to meet them where they are and to realize they got a little bit more control of movement than they do. So what you're really saying, Greg, when we, you take a person who we got to improve their posture, sometimes the best way to improve their posture is to regress their position or pattern. Exactly. Exactly. Most people now, now this is a very simple thing, but I could walk around to every gym and PT clinic in the country and catch a lot of people. When we see a faulty pattern, we assume we should reduce the load before we reduce the posture. And we should always reduce the posture first, not because Gray Cook and Lee Burton say it, because that's what nature says. You if, say, but hold on, you're talking about a different posture now, I think. Well, if a baby learns to walk. Let's say maybe position, position, right? Would you say position? Well, because you say posture, let's look at the posture. Okay. You're, all right. You're talking standing, right? From standing, you're going to go to half kneeling, right? From half kneeling, tall kneeling or squatting or the, squatting, right? You're going to go to crawling, yep. Yep. hands and knees. Yep. From there, you're going to go to on your belly, rolling, right? Rolling. Right. So I've always said posture, probably if we're having to define it for the third grade class, Tells me a lot of the position your spine's in. Horizontal, supported on the ground, that's going to be laying. So, all right, back to your, back to your thing. I'm going to keep you on the right track because I think this is great. So, when you say regress the posture or position, right. it's don't take weight off the person or add weight or whatever. Go from standing to tall kneeling. Let's do this. When, when you and I would have an athlete and the movement screen said their lunge is their weakest link, they got a... Uh, a failing move on one side, a one on one side, and they're perfect on the other. We would not give them lunges. We would take them to half kneeling, which is the destination of a lunge. A lunge starts in standing and actually winds up in half kneeling if you take it to its end. In half kneeling, we would throw them a tennis ball. We would have them rotate with a dowel. Which we'd is put, RNT. We would have med ball catch, or we'd have them do chops and lifts on their own. And all of a sudden, because the destination of the lunge became more secure, familiar, and actionable, the path to the lunge, all the rocks out cleared out of the road. So we would look at those signatures. With, with squatting, just like you said, we just went and worked on the bottom of the squat. 
but we would have never worked on a squat without making the lunge balanced out because the squat is just an aggregate of a unnecessary weight shift that we could easily see somewhere else. When we got to the hurdle step, we would do things to preload the core just to let you realize you got a lot of other options other than wobbling around and hunching over. And the one thing that I would like to say is when we look at the spinal positions from horizontal or all the way up to vertical, anytime you have to give up spinal integrity to cover a movement pattern, that better not be an important, highly loaded, or frequent movement pattern. Your limbs were made to pretty much get you in transition, locomotion, manipulation while conserving the integrity of your spine. Why is that so important? Not just because Stu McGill says so, but preserving the integrity of your respiratory mechanism, preserving the leverage of your pelvis and your shoulders, preserving the transfer mechanism of this arm to that leg. So maintaining spinal integrity assures your breathing, your guts, your lymphatic drainage, um, and your leverage points. And it also actually, I think you'll find that most people who are talking about research based in yoga and stuff like that, the more uncompromised your spine is, the clearer your thinking is. Because we're not kinking the garden hose where your brain talks to the rest of the body. The Functional Movement Screen is your baseline. And now it is easier than ever to get certified by signing up for one of our live virtual courses. We offer FMS Level 1 and 2 virtual courses online, guided by a live instructor who will take you through the entire process. You'll be able to ask our team questions in real time and watch instructors work with live models throughout the day to be sure you leave with a clear understanding and ability to start implementing the FMS into your own practice. And for a limited time, we'd like to offer our podcast listeners a special rate for this FMS virtual experience. Follow the link in the show notes and use promo code VERT22 at checkout for $50 off virtual FMS Level 1 or Level 2 certification courses. That's virt 22 And if you bundle them at checkout, you'll save an additional $120 automatically. We look forward to you joining us. Now back to the show. We take you through multiple positions, seven, if you will, for the functional movement screen. But what's one of the best ways to check check somebody's posture? Single leg stance. And, And that hit me like a ton of bricks as a young physical therapist when I was reading what Vladimir Yanda had written in a few compendiums that I had gotten, and they were translations. But from that point, we looked at posture just standing around or at the grid. And Yanda said one of the best ways to look at posture is in single leg stance. And the thing I love about it is he captured a moment in time because single leg stance is a good signature of do you have good dynamic posture or not? Because you can almost fall asleep standing. You can't fall asleep standing on one leg. And by Yonda saying that, he's saying, listen, if we're moving like we should, five, six miles a day, like we were designed to do, you're going to be in your gait cycle predominantly on one leg most of the time. One leg is going to be doing way more work than the other most of the time in the gait cycle back and forth. You're making that subtle transition. In that dynamic thing, that tells me that you're going to be loaded asymmetrically more than symmetrically if you're having an active life. So let me get a snapshot of good left and good right. And if they're both acceptable, how could standing on both be bad? And it's still no different than what you brought up as far as down, down with, the, with the research. <clears throat> a great article that came out um, years ago about getting up off the floor. Getting up off the floor is a great just snapshot of your longevity. 
you know, your, your just overall health, in my opinion. Balance, and, and what you said, I'm going to bring this back to balance. And balance is a great snapshot of your posture. But it doesn't, doesn't tell you what to do. No, no. No different than seeing somebody do a poor overhead squat. It still doesn't tell you where the problem is. You know, that's where I really like the friction we had within our own company when we found the opportunity with a group of people that what Phil was seeing on the Y balance test and, and what me and you and Kyle were seeing on the movement screen sometimes didn't agree. The Y balance test was an actual more sensitive marker of someone's dysfunction than the movement screen. The movement screen had a uh, mobility bias. We caught tight people right away. The uh, Y balance test caught people with motor control issues in a much more sensitive or precise way, I guess, than the movement screen. Don't get, you, don't get yourself in trouble with the researchers out there. Ah, I'll, I'll say the wrong word, and, <laughs> but we know how much I care. If you know what I mean, move forward. Yeah. Um, anyway, the, so when we had a disagreement between those two tests, the one thing we never disagreed on is the YBT told us we had a loss of motor control almost quicker than the movement screen did. The movement screen told us we had a mobility problem quicker than motor control. The neat thing is the movement within the movement screen, because we have seven stations, but we've got provocation, and then we've got five of those stations have a left-right representation. So I think we can find the bottleneck of your movement ability which is also the bottleneck of your movement awareness. And you need both awareness and ability to manufacture motor control, balance, or even do well on a YBT. So I think we all agreed. The tests together are better than either one in isolation, but when looking at the path you need to be on, the movement screen gives you a full array of what you just were talking about from the floor to standing. You're on your back doing a leg raise. You're planking doing your push-up. You're just standing statically doing your arm reach, and then we look at the three-foot positions of function. That's pretty much getting up off the floor. We represented every posture and pattern and had some intentional redundancy in there. So we're going to catch you getting up off the floor because that's what the movement screen is trying to see without asking you to get up off the floor because we can be more reliable that way. That's what And that one is. of the things we talked about, you know, earlier in this discussion is the problem with people just trying to fix posture by giving you a balance, you know, obstacle. Stand on a BOSU, go do something that's just going to force you out off balance. Because your problem, if, if all you do, you know, and this, this is one thing that's been, irritates me over the years, is if all you do is an overhead squat, great. You got a snapshot of their squat pattern. And if you do really poor, the only thing it tells me is don't load the squat. Don't really tell me anything more than that. Well, your balance test, hey, stand on one foot, and you should be to stand on one foot without tipping over for, you know, I think the research, again, about 15 seconds, whatever, right? But it doesn't tell you what to do because that person who has poor balance, Gray, could have a pain problem, could have a mobility problem, or it could have a motor control problem. Pretty much anywhere in the body, right? Right. Right. And, and, and that, is, that is the compounding effect of what we call regional interdependence. When you have bad information or limitation in any segment of the body, the other parts of the body are obliged to compensate. That's a temporary, not long-term solution. And it's our job to convert that. Um, I think that, that I want to remind our listeners that we, we had these little examples of what we call a movement flow. To me, a movement flow is making you own a position, a transition, or a pattern in a few different ways. 
And I, I, I love playing this little game with a group of people. And I think our listeners should try to play this game with themselves, the coworkers, and maybe their clients. But we take the cut in half foam roll. So it's a speed bump. And we do one of three flows. And I let you put yourself in the group. Do you have more mobility problems, more balance problems, or do you think you're pretty well put together? And if so, then I'm going to check your symmetry. We have a mobility flow, a stability flow, and a symmetry flow. The neat thing we do is we don't have to check posture in the beginning. We take a balance signature. And we did that in our little studio downstairs with a motor control screen on Kyle Barrow, you and, and Jessica, my daughter. And the neat thing was that snapshot of your balance demonstrated that each of you improved your balance. Your dynamic posture and balance are the same freaking thing in a single session confronting that obstacle that you knew you had. You knew you had a left-right difference and a balance problem. Barrow knew he had stiff ankles and a little bit of a core issue. And Jesse was really, really mobile, but knew she wasn't racked and stacked and symmetrical. And so just by creating a little bit of friction, forcing you out of your comfort zone, but well within your ability. R&T. There you go. At the edge of ability in a rich sensory environment. I, I think... I don't think I can say it better. I can demonstrate it a thousand different ways, but as long as you're following those two rules, you will actually meet somebody where they are. The only unfortunate thing is I think a lot of you guys are doing that, but without setting a baseline at the front end and back end, you can't tell them how good sniper you are, or you can't learn how to be a better sniper when you don't. Right. And the words, some of the words you're using there, that, that word awareness keeps popping up. And I think that's really, really important because that, that again, is that the, foundation of RNT. That's what Costa Rica gave you, and that's what my game camera well, gave the me. snapshot <laughs> gave it to me. I'm not sure I fixed it. But you know, the thing, the thing about even looking at that image of me in Costa Rica, my kids laughing and everything, um, it didn't bother me at one bit. You know, I, I, know the, I know the issues, but, you know, they come up, I've, I've seen this, and someone actually sent it to me, and you, you and I both get, you know, equipment sent to us all the time, and there's this little piece of, piece of equipment, I use the word equipment loosely here, and you put it on your back, and you basically, it's like, you know, kind of, you can, I think it sticks on your back maybe, or you put it on your shirt or whatever. And as soon as you start to lose your posture, it pings you. Basically, it makes you, okay, stand up straight, stand up straight. Well, you could put a book on your head and do the same thing. But, okay, my situation, because I've got great mobility in my upper back, it wouldn't bother me one bit to, okay, great, stand up straight. What if somebody has poor mobility in their upper back then, and they're then- hunched over? Then by the end of the day, they're going to sprain something. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. But that's, the, that's, that's what you're going getting at with regional interdependence. It is, it is. And, and so, guys, uh, it's going to start getting easier and easier to do the movement test, the posture test, the, the, the self-awareness test. It's, it's going to only get easier, and we're going to be able to hack that information quickly. Don't assume that you can hack the solution. We've got to grow it. We've got to meet them. Back to your complicated little thing. Yeah, we've got to meet them where they are. But that's how you get the subconscious activity overwritten. Remember, bad habits write a deep groove in, in your movement thing. And it takes a long time to overwrite that. As a matter of fact, I think that, um, that, that most of the uh, theorists out there now say we don't really break bad habits. We simply adopt new habits and by the frequency of confronting that we override it but many of us if we quit training if we get sick for a while if we have a lot of stress in our life 
we do default back to those bad habits and those bad patterns. And we'd love to hack them away, but they don't. You just got to get aware of them and you can get aware of them quicker than you ever have before. But changing them is still about behavior modification, lean against the standard, use objective objective information, and make sure you're becoming self-aware. Those beeps, yeah, we use those for everything now. We have hydration monitors, we've got, you know, slouching monitors, but the whole point is if your aura ring or your uh, device doesn't teach you how to do that which you do poorly better in about a month, so you're at least a little more self-aware. I know when I have good sleep and bad sleep now without the feedback, but it was really cool getting the feedback as I was growing better habits to, to sleep with. One other thing I want to say is we've talked about how to make posture better. We've talked about nonverbal cues. I think weighted vest, yokes, carries, tall kneeling turns. We've got videos about that on the um, uh, web. And then just rolling around, crawling around, doing ground brace stuff, hanging, brachiation is a great way uh, and a posture we rarely think about, but we've learned Whoa, a, hanging. Being all right, describe that because I think everybody gets turns and things. We can but when you say hanging brachiation, what do you mean? Well, what I mean is, I think you and I uh, quite a while back appreciated carrying things and lifting things are two different ways to train your body, and having good carries before you lift really solves a lot of problems you're going to enter into. Well, how many of us get out on the bar and try to rip out pull-ups or something without first getting competent just hanging, comfortably hanging from, from you know, your arms extended, and then maybe flexed arm hang? It's no different than what I said about the lunge. Owning your half-kneeling chop or med ball catch is like owning your hangs. What is that? Brachiation, though. What does that mean? That basically means hanging, hanging. But it's creating traction. It's creating traction. So you can hang from your feet. I mean, I think people have seen the teeter hang-up tables, the gravity boots that you can hang from, kids on the monkey bars with their knees bent over uh, a bar. But I think it's up at our place at the lake, we've got a bunch of those battling ropes just hanging up in the trees. And it's really neat. Some of your best stretches will come from that decompression, but you don't need a device to do that. If, if you try to start somewhere, and, and I think the, the stall bars are a great way because a lot of people, if their shoulders are stiff or if they've got flexibility problems, you're not going to do a full body weight hang comfortably, but leaving one foot on the rung, leaving one foot on a stool and just slowly introducing weight is like lightening your carry and owning the position. Um, but the only other thing I wanted to say is when we work with people uh, or athletes that wear gear and equipment that change their center of mass over their base of support or offload them, I know a lot of guys who hunt or hike got backpacks. I know police officers have a lot of weight on their belt, and it changes the way they got to sit and move. And then I know the, the firefighters we work with, they got air tanks up on their back and stuff like that. And so, guys, think for a minute. When your equipment, when the stuff you got to wear reduces your balance or your ability to maybe get into that squat position or get down on one knee and get back up, we got to realize that's something you got to train for because if the equipment ain't changing, then the movement screen has to be that much better because if we realize that throwing top heaviness or an inappropriate load on you is going to rob you of three points on the movement screen, Go go ahead and get three more points before you go in there, and you'll have the buffers. Right, on. and I think that's something to make make clear here, Gray. Is you know when we talk about you know adding load, you're talking about adding a, a weight vest or a yoke to improve the posture. That's one of the things you said early, which 
you know, I've got a yoke in my office. When I, you know, part of the day, I'll throw that thing on and I immediately feel everything kick in and feel like I stand up straight. But there's a point when you're talking about, you know, your environment requires you to wear that or wear this throughout the day. How much does that change? Because now your brain is almost accustomed to that. Yes. So now you've almost developed a bad habit around yes. that. And I think when you start talking about, and I'm going to throw this, kick this back to you to kind of walk through these two scenarios. You take a person who does well on the movement screen, 18, 19, does well. And if you don't know the score on the movement screen, that's pretty good, right? Great on the movement screen. No pain, nothing. You pass. You throw that, throw those. The, the backpack, the backpack, air tank. Yeah. You throw the air tank on. You throw the, the belt on because if you're a police officer or ruck, whatever it is, we screen them. And we, we know the numbers. We've done enough in the military and fire service to see this. We're going to drop your scores down a little bit. Great. Okay, what does that mean? Question one, what do we need to do? That person who scores well on the movement screen, the scores drop. What's a significant amount of drop, I would ask? Two or three, okay, fine, you're still pretty good. Then you take the person who scores really bad, who's got major limitations, major dysfunction, still no pain, because pain's a whole different scenario. They drop another two or three points. How do you deal with those two different, what does that tell you? One's good, their scores drop. One doesn't move good, and their scores drop. First, I'm going to try to lean on the data. Um, if you've got a lot of optimal scores on the movement screen and your equipment that you got to wear for your environment knocks you back to a two, that's still a passing grade and not really associated with huge risk. If you've already got a one, you're at risk. Adding something more only magnifies that. If you're barely across the pass, if you've got a bunch of twos and your equipment moves you into a dysfunctional category, we either got to deal with that and accept it, or we've got to basically create the buffer in you. A lot of times we've learned that maybe we do need to modify the equipment. Maybe we do need to lower the center of mass. Maybe we do need to get them in different footwear. But until we make those adjustments, the best thing you can do is be self-aware that you do have limitations and that you do have options to, to scrub those away. And, and that's where I'd like, you know, a lot of the people working in our profession to really consider um, how much more is on the table with this awareness, posture, movement thing um, than, than ever before. And creating that buffer is really where you and I started uh, with the NFL guys. We knew not only do they wear equipment, there's going to be a 100% injury rate this year. The better buffer we give them means when they meet their next injury, they'll have less of a musculoskeletal inefficiency or burden with other benign mobilities and stabilities that are either going to cannibalize the new injury. Because if you're already stiff, all right, in your low back and you blow your knee, then you're going to be going under knee rehab with inappropriate knee motion and valgus collapse, covering the stiffness of your back. That's a bad habit, totally ingrained in your subconscious. Which is, which is what the brain excuse me, is going to have to do. Specific example, we work, we've had him on and, and you know, we, we talked to him quite a bit. Mike Contreras. Yes. Mike Contreras works, he's a firefighter, but he also works with a group of electrical workers and the guys that climb the poles and works on the, the high wires, right? And they have to wear these specific boots. And these boots, in essence, lock up your ankles. And we know a lack of ankle mobility is a problem. But we also know that these guys have to wear these boots for safety purposes. So to your point, Knowing that their lack of ankle mobility is what, what they're working with every day as soon as they lace up those boots. So in your scenario, we need to make sure when they're out of those boots, 
we give them as much ankle mobility as possible, right? Exactly, exactly. Because boots can slow down your ankle mobility and limit the end ranges, but better moving ankles really actually express themselves even in boots, even in high top sneakers and stuff that we know that. So the fact, I mean, we, I think we've got uh, some experience in the NHL. Those guys don't move their ankles because they're in skates. But the neat thing is when we see ankle mobility problems, the ones with ankle mobility problems have more knee problems, right? So you're not always in the equipment and that's the time to really explore your options because people who have cleaner, more symmetrical movement screens have more options when they are on slippery surface, when they are on slopes, when they do have uh, asymmetrical loads, and when they are top heavy, they just got more. Um, they got more options, and those options are actually subconscious. So, really, what I'm kind of hearing you say, and what I would say, just give them good movements. <laughs> with with that, just make sure they can move well without the equipment. Period. Because if they don't, you know you have a problem. Because we know that whatever equipment you lay on top of an individual, especially whether they're skates, whether there's boots, whether there's you know something wrapped around their waist, it's a good chance over the course of an eight-hour workday, it's going to decrease their movement screens. And if you lace up boots and skates, we know it's going to decrease their movement screens. But we got to make sure that before they put those things on, they've got, they're moving well. No, that, that, that's a great that's a great recommendation. And we've mentioned a lot of equipment here. Using the vest for a good long walk on on natural terrain, that's a great thing. There's no reason to get really freaky and put a breathing mask on with a vest and get on a balance beam at the same time. If anything, if you're going to restrict your breathing and try to maintain your posture, you're going to be on a balance beam doing bear crawls, doing vest. Let's do one modality at a time and see what you learn from it. Just putting on the weighted vest and actually not taking a walk, but trying to do a uh, sun salutation or go from sitting to tall kneeling to half kneeling to squatting to standing, getting up and down with that weighted vest actually will make it better. You're working at your standing desk. You put the yoke on. It feels better. If you do something and it feels worse, there's a good chance you got a mobility problem. And if you do something with that extra load and it feels better, that self-awareness actually um, improved your motor control. Those are, those are easy things to sort of vet out. The only thing I will caution people against is we got a lot of tricks out there. Doing it without the baseline is still just a party trick. I know a lot of people that watch me do the toe touch progression and will get somebody touching their toes. It's better to do it when that can also render better balance on a balance beam or something like that. And I think this was where I, I, can, I can wrap it. I learned so much from going back on the road and teaching the FCS and finding people in our movement screen and fundamental capacity screen with single leg stance problems. And without turning it into a prescriptive program, I just got these people to go play, not train, not practice, go play on a balance beam. Put the music on, let's walk up and down the beam, forward, backward, sideways, and 15 minutes of play changed their motor control screen score and their single leg stance and their posture. And I really think letting people explore that edge of ability in a really safe environment, the balance beam's an inch off the floor, not 10 feet off the floor, is the quickest way to let them value 
what you were able to deliver and everybody else is just talking about is find these sticking points with people and make it a fun, playful, engaging, sometimes competitive environment and then measure the baseline of change and then you can get more prescriptive on the program and they will be engaged because a little bit of that training or practice will seem a lot like the play they did the first day. But you really also have to emphasize that when you're checking someone's posture, you have to look at them in multiple patterns, you got in multiple it. positions. Because just because a person, if a person does poor in single leg stance, don't assume it's a motor control problem. So many people go to glute medius exercises when they see that signature because of a thing called a Trendelenburg gait, somebody who's walking without good lateral uh, glutes. But are they having weak glutes, inhibited glutes, not firing their glutes, or have they learned how to just live without them? We don't know, but I tell you what, if we don't know what their foot feels, we sure don't know what their glutes Exactly. Can do. I was getting ready to bring that up if you didn't, because a person who stands up and they have that Trendelenburg, that knee collapses, they, they shift their weight, they do everything, their glutes aren't quote-unquote firing, you do all the bridges you want, but if that foot is what's collapsing down, you're done. Yes. And, and when... When we were sort of digging back through our work and really, I think, sort of cleaning house with our own exercises, Phil and Kyle and I were saying, how do we didn't want to use the word stability anymore? We want to use the word motor control. It just means more because a lot of people who thought they were doing stability work were trying to strengthen stabilizers. You don't strengthen stabilizers. You make them more sensitive and you make them faster because they already got a mechanical advantage. They, your rotator cuff has great leverage on your shoulder ball and socket. It's got very poor influence on movement. It's got a lot of influence on alignment. So things that make you sensitive to your, your own alignment are better. And when we tried to really define the term motor control, for school kids, for soccer moms, for some of the athletes that we work with, your sensory information coming in has to be pretty clean. Your processing between your ears of the information has to be pretty clean. And your output has to be pretty clean. Guess which one of those we can check? Your output. If your output's broken, we don't know what you're feeling and we don't know how you're processing it. But if you don't have good range of motion, we already know you're not feeling enough. So that's why we go mobility. That means your first. input's not good. You if got your mobility, it. If your mobility is bad, you're not getting the right input. Garbage in, garbage out. Yep. It works for computers and it works for your brain. So guys, take our lesson. Just because you got mobility problems doesn't mean you got to stretch. These three flows that I was talking about, the tall kneeling turns that we've got on the video look like stability work. Look what happens to your mobility when you're more stable. Sometimes you're not stiff. You're using a parking brake because you don't deserve to go any further. Yeah, that, that's a big, something that, Gray, we can't, you can't, FMS, quote unquote, can't explain enough. We identify a mobility problem, but you may fix that mobility problem with a motor control activity. That's because inappropriate tone expresses itself is and that's why the toe touch progression works right right we're we're not stretching fascia in a single session we're recalibrating the way you come at touching your toes we're making your angles true we're making your alignment good we're sinking your breath and we're centering your balance simultaneously so we're tricking you into using angles that you should have been using all along and forgot how to 
So there's definitely, you know, we've got to take care of our mobility. Again, same thing we've been saying for 25 years. And it years. may look like a stability routine. And it may look like a stability routine. And I think there's some definitely some things that you know or you have kind of up your sleeve that are kind of, maybe I use the word hacks, for postural control since we're talking about posture. And, and so kind of give us the, the five or three or four things that I think we can probably, you know, sh- share with some videos when this, when this thing yep. comes out. Um, I think it's good for all of us, athletic, fit-minded, or just aging, <laughs> to, to get on a balance beam and learn from it. Barefoot is preferable, and believe it or not, uh, any beam works, but I, I have logs out on the farm. They're, they're on little cradles, and I just walk on them and let my foot wrap around that surface. And if you find yourself flapping your arms and alter, altering your spine to balance, then that means you're giving up posture for pattern. And that's never a good exchange. Own your posture, own your breathing and make your pattern allow you to do those things. So I found that, that the balance beam works for everybody. I've also found that when kids are trying to get in shape for a competitive season, we enter a lot of things when they start running and haven't been, they get uh, low back pain and shin splints. Bear crawls are a great way to sync your movement and cardio at the same time. It's a robust cardiovascular load, but it won't beat up your skeleton. It's low impact, but it's high work capacity. So bear crawls and balance beams are how you own that. And I use those as self-awareness drills because if you want to supplement your sun salutation, your Turkish getup will show you and help you sort of train these two playful things. Um, I love wearing the yokes or the um, vest. And like I said, if these things fatigue you quickly, you need to stretch first. And if these things make you feel great while you got them on, just don't go too long. Find your dose, put them on, put them off frequently, and just do your normal activities. But when you got a uh, weight vest or a yoke on, just remember, you got a hip hinge. And if you don't know what that means, look on everybody's website. We can show you what hip hinge is, but don't round your spine when you got a top load. Um, outside of that, barefoot as much as possible and wear minimalist shoes. And one of the best ways to find if your footwear is good is get with somebody who can do a motor control screen and you can do it barefoot and with a shoe on. And if you wear a shoe that makes your motor control worse than barefoot, it's probably not a good idea. And if you wear one that makes you a little bit better than barefoot, it might be a good idea, at least for a while. I'd like to think that your best motor control is with your foot flat on the earth and not supplemented or, or, or enabled by a heel or an orthotic. But some of us need that, and some of us got a leg link discrepancy, so we could use that. But um, the way I vet my best footwear is against barefoot, not how it feels. And, and when I help people rehab their knee, they go through a transition of two weeks of really sore feet, and I'm like, all that your feet could have been doing was going up to your knee. And now the muscles in your feet have overcome that fatigue ability. And now they're protecting your knees, not, not expressing stress up the chain. And all that is doing is giving you better input so you have better output, which is postural control. Yep. Study PNF, guys. We've put stuff up on the internet about RNT. Do your background, do your reading. But if you can teach without words, you are a movement specialist and you're using feel to your advantage. And you can always talk later. Sounds good, man. Let's right, get brother. after it. Thank you guys for tuning in. <laughs> get a picture, Lee, in Costa Rica. <laughs> that will do it for this episode of the Movement Podcast. Thanks for listening. And if you liked what you heard, please take a minute and subscribe and review. 
If you want to learn more about our system and take the next step in your own movement journey, visit us at movementpod.com. Until next time, be sure to first move well, then move often.